Let's begin tonight in Luke 22, verses 31 through 34. Luke 22, 31 through 34. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And he said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. And he said, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day, before that thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. I want to talk for a few moments tonight about the eagerness of Satan. Satan is very good at what he does. And he does it in different ways. He's very able to adapt to the situation uh, in which he finds himself. He's able to adapt from from nation to nation, from culture to culture, from people to people, and from individual to individual. He is what he needs to be in order to cause someone to lose their souls. Let's just look back over the history of our nation for a few moments. Uh, things today are quite different than they were, say, 40 years ago when I was just a young boy. I can uh, remember that a lot of the things going on in the country today were to be kept secret if you were involved in those things. Homosexuality was actually against the law. Especially if you were in the military, they would put you in prison for that. No one... uh, uh, abortion had just begun to be, uh, become legal in 1977. Up to that point, they had fought it tooth and nail until eventually those who were pushing it finally overcame the silent majority. We look around and the different lifestyles that uh, in which people engage. If you if you lived in such a way, you just didn't want people to know about it unless they lived in those same circles. It's a lot different than it was. When I was growing up, it's a lot different than when some of our older members were growing up, especially then. You know, I can remember talking to my father. I think he was born in 1938. And uh, he would talk about the way things were when he was growing up completely different than what they are today. Nothing even close to being the same. Satan has always been very successful in getting the people of the world to disregard God and to be disobedient to His commandments. We have political leaders who openly encourage anti-Semitism. Who would have ever thought that someone could stand on the floor of Congress and talk about a group of people simply because of their nationality, of their religious beliefs? That has never happened to the best of my knowledge. Has it always been in existence? Absolutely. You read through the Bible and you see people who hated the the Jewish nation. But we have people in Congress who openly stand up and do you know what? Hardly anything is said about it. Certainly not from their own party. And it's just amazing to me how Satan has gradually gotten a hold of the world and caused them to go aside. In addition to those traits, it has become politically incorrect to identify the guilty. It's this whole concept of there are no losers in life. There are no second places. Everybody gets a 
a trophy. Listen, people are wrong. You have people who are wrong, you have people who lose, you have people who are smarter than other people. That's just the way it is. A lot of the time it's because someone doesn't put forth any effort. Right? But we don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. We don't want them to feel bad about themselves. Look, they ought to feel bad about themselves. That's one thing that gets them straightened out and want to head in the right direction, right? God placed within us a conscience, and we need to train that conscience to feel bad when we do wrong. If we don't, what kind of shape's the world going to be in? Paul demanded, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them, Ephesians 5, 11. We ought to stand up and say that such and such is wrong. Taylor sent me a text and she asked me earlier in the day, she said, who's, who's Max Lakato? He, did he used to be a member of the, of the Lord's Church? I said, yeah, he used to be a member of the Lord's Church. I said, he's a false teacher now. And she was telling me that she had seen his book over at her mother-in-law. She's a member of a denomination. I said, yeah. She said, well, what happened? I said, he got to uh, becoming a little bit famous. And he enjoyed that, so he wanted to be even more famous and loved by even more people, so he had to go over to where the majority is. He couldn't stay with the minority. So he had to go to the majority. I don't recall the church, the name of the church where he is the preacher, but, uh, and and I'm glad about this, they took the Lord's name off of the, off of the sign. Now it's just such and such church. It doesn't say church of Christ, and I'm thankful for that. I don't want to accidentally stumble into a place like that if I'm traveling, right? And so, things are not changing for the better. Why? Because Satan's diligent. He's getting what he wants. He's very good at what he does. And we need to understand some things about him. It's not surprising to those who pattern our lives after the New Testament and those of us who strive to fix problems in our lives and and to correct wrongs, those of us who are continually looking toward the prize of heaven, to look around the world and see that the the world lives that way. Because that's what Satan wants, and he's good at what he does. Satan wants it to be very difficult for the few righteous in the world to stand up and let their voice be heard. You stand up and you talk about the things God endorses. You talk about not supporting abortion, how we ought to stop killing the innocent children uh, of our nation, and you get shouted down. They talk over you. They don't want to hear you. They don't want to hear it. You talk about how we ought to live our lives in a moral and decent manner. You know, one of the things that has always bothered me, we talk about this, you know, this abortion thing is old news, right? One of the things that they always use they say, well, you can't legislate morality. You tell me the nation in the world that doesn't do that. Tell me the nation in the world that does not legislate morality. What nation are you free to kill somebody? I don't know of a nation in the world where it's okay just to walk into someone's home, take everything they've got, and kill them. That's morality. You can't steal, you can't rob, you can't cheat. If you lie in court, you're going to go to jail. If you murder someone, you're going to go to jail. That's all morality. We legislate morality. And for a while, we had a lot of things that were immoral in this world were against the laws in our nation. 
Not so anymore. God wants it to be, or Satan wants it to be difficult for the righteous to stand up and let their voice be heard. That's why a lot of the things have happened in this world. We need to understand Satan is the cause of all the problem, but we need to take the responsibility for not standing up and allowing our voices to be heard as much as we ought to. When I say we, I talk about uh, the righteous people throughout the world. Do you know why when uh, they have a riot somewhere or they have a sit-in somewhere, they have a protest somewhere, do you ever notice why it's always the ungodly? They don't work. It's easy to go camp out on Wall Street if you don't have a job, you know. They don't have to worry about losing their jobs. You know what, what the righteous and the good people of the world are doing? They're going to work. They're supporting their families. They're trying to live in the ways in which God wants them to live. And they don't have time for that foolishness, right? And we don't. We don't have time to go protest down the street. But we need to make time to stand up and allow our voices to be heard. We need to tell people when things are wrong. We need to encourage people to be right. Because if we don't, Satan wins. And he's eager to win. And there's a reason he wants it that way. He's not worried about the world. He's worried about the faithful. He's got the world. He wants the faithful to just stay quiet. He wants the faithful to sit down and shut up. If he's not going to be able to get them, he's not going to quit trying, but he, he, you know, at least just shut up and don't mess with what I've already got. But see, we can't do that. We need to stand up and we need to, in a very loving and a very godly way, make our beliefs known to the world. Satan wants to overtake those who do not agree with him. He wants to overtake those who do not agree with the things happening in the world. Let me tell you one way he does that. By the, by the righteous being silent. That's one way he does it. What happens over time when you continually see something, you see something, you see something, you know what, eventually it just becomes normal doesn't it? You become jaded to the things that are happening around you. I can remember when I was living in Memphis, I finally, I quit hearing the sirens in the fire trucks. I quit hearing them. I didn't even notice them any longer. Well, they were there every day. It seems all day when I first moved there, there was always a siren going off. They were always going after them. But after a while, you know what? You just blended in. It was just normal. I didn't pay any attention to it any longer. That's what Satan wants us to do. He wants us to become jaded. Homosexuality, that's just the norm. That's just the way it is, right? Nothing I can do about it, so I'm not going to say anything. Abortion, that's just the way it is. You know, I'm not going to do it, but I'm just not going to say anything about it because that's just the way it is. And a lot of good people become jaded. Satan is eager. That's the title of the sermon tonight. Satan is eager. He's eager to cause each of us to lose our souls. He wants us all to be in hell eternally. Do you know why? Because he is the poster child of misery wants company. Right? He knows he is lost. And he wants the rest of us to be lost. As many as he can possibly cause to lose their souls, that's what he's after. Satan, in some way, sinned against God. And in sinning against God, he convinced some of the other angels in heaven to follow him in that action. God cast him out of heaven. He 
he uh, condemned him to eternal punishment when this world is over, but in the meantime, he cast him down to heaven. He was not going to allow him to be in the presence or in the in the eternal realm of God. So he cast him down to heaven. And so in doing that, he walks the earth. He wants to encourage. He wants to influence. And he does it very well. In fact, Peter said, 2 Peter 2, 4, For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and deliver them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, Satan's followers await the day that they will join him and I'm talking about those those angels who sin, when they will join Him in hell for eternity. They know it's coming, and so does Satan. Speaking of that day, Jesus warned the disobedient that they would also join those angels waiting to be reunited with Satan in hell. And it won't be a good uh, reunion either. Matthew 25, 41, Then He will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Yes, Satan wants as much company in hell as he can get, and he is very eager to get that. Fortunately, we can avoid that fate if we will, if we persevere, and if, like James said, we resist the devil, James 4 verse 7. To be able to avoid the ploys and the schemes of Satan, we need to understand some things about him. We need to to be able to put this in our memory banks and to be able to know what we're dealing with. When Jesus gave the parable of counting the cost, we understand what that means. You need to understand if you go to war, do I have enough people to go to war? But you know there's a little more to it than that. We don't have every detail that the Lord ever spoke, but if you're going to go to war, you better know the enemy, right? That's really what that means. How do you know how many people to take? Because you better know your enemy. You better know the enemy. And Satan is the enemy. We better understand some things about him. First of all, I want us to notice his ambition, what he has in mind. He is very eager and he is ambitious. In fact, he has a burning desire for souls but not in a positive way. Let's notice again what Jesus said, Luke twenty-two thirty-one. 31. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. When Jesus warned Peter about Satan, he was not far from the cross. He was getting close to his giving his life and dying for the world. And he wanted Peter to remain strong. He wanted to encourage him to work on his faithfulness. He wanted him to continue to reject and to fight against Satan and his forces. That's what Jesus wanted. He prayed for him. He prayed for Peter. Satan wanted Peter in a bad way. Can you imagine the damage that would have been done if he had been successful in doing to Peter what he did to Jude. Oh, the the Lord's plan would have continued. There's no doubt about that. But think of all the lost opportunity, all the good work that would have been undone if Peter had given up and not remained faithful. Peter messed up, and he messed up badly. But he repented of that. 
And he went back to work like God wanted him to. But it wasn't just Peter Satan wanted. He wanted all the disciples. Satan was making a demand of God. He wanted Peter and he wanted the rest of them. He wanted to sift them to see which ones uh, would fall through the cracks straight into hell. That was his desire. That's what the sifting means. Do you ever remember growing up and watching a grandmother sift flour? You wanted to get the little hard pieces out of there and you'd sift that flour and it'd go through the, the sieve and, and then you would have nice flour that you could use. So you don't have to sift flour anymore. But you used to have to sift it. And that's what Satan wanted to do. He wanted to see if Peter would fall through the cracks and he wanted him to fall straight into hell. Paul warned. He said, Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. And that's exactly what Peter was doing. He was giving Satan an opportunity to latch on to him and cause him a whole lot of problems. And that's what he's very good at doing. Not only do we see Satan's great desire, we see his persistence, right? He got Jude, or Judas, but he wanted Peter. He wanted Matthew. He wanted all those other disciples. He wanted all those they had converted. He wants us all. And he will not stop until he is sent to hell. Satan has a burning desire. And that desire is to detain all people and prevent them from following God's will. That's what he wants to do. It's not difficult for him. He can throw a little roadblock in the way. He preys on people's ignorance. He preys on people's desires to to maybe not want to conform as much as they ought to. And He allows them to believe, well, if you don't conform in everything, you're okay. Well, that's not so, is it? We have to conform to everything God tells us to conform to, whether that's something that we would enjoy doing or not. We may have to give up some things in this life. But we were talking in the class this morning. Heaven will surely be worth everything we give up in this life. And we wouldn't want to return to pick up where we left off. He wants to detain us. Peter described him as a roaring lion, didn't he? 1 Peter 5.8 He is motivated by a great hatred toward God. We can't even realize the kind of hatred that Satan has for God. It's hard for me to understand. God created the angel who sinned against him. God had given that angel everything he needed. And he still hates God. He wants to sift all the faithful to see who'll fall through the cracks straight into hell. He wants to detain us all. That's what he wants. To better to be better able to defend against the things that Satan wants to do for us. We need to understand how he goes about detaining us, don't we? How does he distract us? What what does he do to cause us, to help to cause us to do those things? He understands sin cannot enter into heaven. He understands we have a choice and he uses that. And he'll lie and he'll convince us that it's okay, that it'll be fine, Go ahead and do that one thing. It's not a big deal. Eve and Adam took a bite of fruit. 
What in the world is the big deal? Fruit's good for you. Right? It's healthy. What's the problem? One bite, God said not to do it. And that's a small thing. If you can't be faithful in the small things, you'll never be faithful in the big things, will we? And so that's the problem. He works on the the idea and the concept we have a choice. And so he has to kick us off track just a little. He doesn't have to make us turn our backs on God and not believe in Him and completely become apostate to Him. That's not what He has to do. He just has to change our direction just a little. And He's very good at doing that. Each of us knowing our own weaknesses, what does, what does God demand of us? What did Jesus ask us to do? Matthew 26, 41. He asked us to watch and pray. In other words, he said, be faithful, be vigilant. Pay attention to what's going on around you. Make sure you're remaining faithful. Satan has an ambition, but he has so much more. Satan not only has an ambition, he has an action that he employs to gain his goal and his ambition. He has a three-point plan to bring about destruction in the form of trials, in the form of temptations. A three-prong attack. He's very good at it. He does it through the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, 1 John 2.16. And those are the only ways in which he can cause someone to stumble and to fall. But he is an expert in those three ways. And because of that, he will cause the majority of the world to miss out on eternity in heaven. That's why Jesus encouraged uh, all people, Matthew 7.13 and 14, to choose the right path, to choose the right interest. Don't go the easy way. Go the, go the restricted way. Go the straight way. That doesn't mean impossible. That just means that there are conditions attached to that path. And we have to follow those conditions, right? It's not so strict that we can't fit through the gate. It's not so strict that we can't walk side by side with our brethren. It's not so strict that we can't have a wonderful time in this world that God has given us so kindly. It's not so strict that we just sit around being sad with our heads down and thinking, boy, everybody else in the world's having fun except me because I'm a Christian. It's not that strict. It's not that narrow. But it is strict and it is narrow. And Satan wants us all to believe it's just too hard and we can't do it. A person's life, I believe, can be divided into about three realms. Generally, into about three realms. We have the social realm. We have interaction with people that we enjoy being around. And that's very difficult, especially for young people. Young people want to be able to fit in as they mature into adulthood. They want to be accepted. They want to be liked, right? And what does the world tell them they have to do in order to be liked and to be accepted? You've got to be like the rest of us. And the rest of us smoke and drink and use drugs and uh, engage in immoral activities and we don't care about anything. We're selfish and not selfless. And whatever we want's okay as long as it makes us happy. And that's what they have to face. But it's not just our young people, it's everybody. Everybody who is in a social group, and that means all of us, are faced with those exact th- same things. And you know, would you believe there are Christians in the world who believe that way as well? Of course we believe that. Of course we do. 
It's sad, but it's the truth. And so we have to be on guard. That's one of the ways that Satan operates. Many people bow because they do not want to be different. But Peter said we're supposed to be different. We're supposed to be peculiar, 1 Peter 2, 9. And then we have the business realm. Or our job, or our work, or whatever we do to support ourselves. Now, there are those who yield to the ambition of Satan in this area of life. He says, look, if you're going to get ahead in business, you've got to lie, cheat, you've got to steal, you have to be dishonest. You've got to do all those things. You're never going to get where you want to go. He says, well, if you don't have your own company and you happen to be working for someone, if you want to get ahead in this life and you want to have all these things that everybody wants to have, more stuff than we need in reality, right? you got to work every day. If you take a day off, don't let it be Sunday because, you know, that's really the only day I get to sleep late. Listen, I worked... Six days a week for 20 years. Just like a whole bunch of the rest of you. There were occasions when I had to go in on a Sunday morning because something had to be done, but that was out of the ordinary and that was unusual. And if that was the ordinary and if that was usual, I needed to go find another job somewhere because I don't have to work on the Lord's Day. I don't care who it is. There's something else out there. Because God requires us to come together. Does that mean that, uh, you know, I can't come to the evening service? Well, no, that's not what that means. But, you know, I need to focus and put put first things first. You know, uh, every time I have to work late, it's a Wednesday night. Right? It's a Wednesday night. I can't make it on Wednesday nights. That's not what God wants. John warned this, Revelation 21, 7 through 8. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire, which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. He wants us to believe that's not true. Put anything you want to before God and you'll be okay. It's just work. I've got to support my family. See, that's what Satan does. He cloaks his lies in religious virtue. Does God demand that we support our families and that we work so we can feed ourselves? Absolutely. Paul was so bold as to say, if you don't work, you ought to starve. Neither should you eat, right? And so, like the Pharisees who said, well, I can't help my mother, my old mother, my widowed mother, because I have to tithe. I have to give a tenth of everything. You know, and they would even tithe all the way down to the, the cumin and the anise and the spices in their, in their cupboards. And Jesus said, you ought to do that. But you're, you're overlooking the weightier matters of the law. We ought to work, not on the Lord's day. We ought to work, not when the leadership of the church sets a time for us to meet through the week. We ought to work, but we ought to, we ought to support the gospel meeting when the leadership has set forth that that's when we're going to have a gospel meeting. Satan doesn't want us to believe that. There's another way, finally, you have the religious realm. There are those in the world who would rarely yield to social pressure. There are those in the world who would never yield to the pressure of business or work. They're going to remain faithful. But unknowingly and ignorantly, a lot of the time, and I don't use that word as 
as some kind of an insult. It's a lack of knowledge. They will yield in this area of their lives. That doesn't mean they're not sincere in their beliefs, but often they are sincerely wrong in their beliefs. And Satan uses that to his advantage. Do you believe in God? That's all you got to know. Do you do this or that? Well, it's not, you know, I don't know that it's in the Bible, but it's not that big a deal. It's just an apple, or it's just a fruit, or it's just a whatever that thing was that, that Adam and Eve were eating, some kind of a fruit. We're not told. It's just that, you know. Not a big deal, is it? It's a big deal. Paul told those in, in Galatia, he said, I marvel, First John 1, 6, I marvel that you're so soon removed unto another gospel, which is not another gospel. What was the difference? Well, just a few things. It really wasn't that great of a difference. They said, okay, you got to be a Christian, but just simply you have to be circumcised. You have to observe a few days. It's in the old law. What's the big deal? It's a big deal, right? John believed and he warned. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits. Test the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Never trust anyone when it comes to the soul. It's too important. Never trust anyone. I don't care who it is. If you, if you find them to be honest and trustworthy, follow their example, just like Paul said to do. But his action includes trials and it includes temptation. It includes all kinds of temptations. And that's one way he wants to detain us through those trials. He puts something in front of us. It's his greatest weapon. But we must keep in mind, not sinful to be tempted. It's sinful when you give in to it. Everybody's going to be tempted. The Lord was tempted for 40 days. Solid. And then we read about those three great temptations there at the end. He overcame that as well. James said, but every man is tempted. James 1.14 when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed, then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Now, what does that mean? Temptation is the enticement to sin. To some people, it's you want to steal everything you see, right? I had an uncle. Boy, you had to shake him down. You had to frisk him when he left the house because he'd have something, right? He'd have something in his pocket that he would, and it would be something that didn't even matter. Some people, it's the use of alcohol, right? The use of drugs, laziness, or whatever. There's a, you know, fill in the blank. There are a million temptations out there. And we have to know ourselves, and we have to know what we need to guard against, right? And when we fall victim to, I just can't help it, the temptation is so great. Why bother, Right? You know, maybe we've all been there at some point. I don't know. Maybe we've all been there. Obviously, I can't overcome, so why bother? Well, that Satan's got you then, right? That's what he wants you to believe. Listen, overcome. It's possible. We can't overcome if we want to. The trials of this life can help each of us conform to the image of Christ. Do you know how wonderful it is once you achieve something in life that you've worked so hard for? A degree in college, establishing a business, becoming successful, finding that woman or that man who you like a little bit and eventually you get them for your husband or your wife. Isn't that a wonderful feeling? I was successful. 
What does that spur you on to? In the business world, if you're successful and you begin doing good, what does that spur you on to do? To be better, right? To be the best person in that business. But don't let it come before you and God, right? I remember when I worked in, in the body shop for so long, it was an honor for me because I worked in a shop. We got all the business, all that we wanted, right? We didn't have to do the junker stuff. We didn't have to do the stuff that you would work, work and work and work, and I'll get much paid very much for it. We weren't cheap, but we were good at what we did. And that's, that, that encourages you, doesn't it? Everyone comes in, they say, boy, that looks better than, it, than when it was new. Well, I want to do the next one even more. Make it even better, right? When we overcome temptation in this life, that tells us, I can do it. And then the next one, it's easier. And the next one, it's easier. I didn't say it was easy. It's easier to overcome once you've had success. Once you study the Bible with someone and they obey the gospel, let me tell you something, you can't wait to get another Bible study because now you've tasted some success and it's a wonderful thing. We can overcome sin. Satan has a desire that we go to hell. Satan has an action that he puts in place. So what do we do to defeat Satan? How do we stop him? Well, we have to have a greater goal. We have to have something that we want to achieve. That's our third point. And that thing that we want to achieve is heaven. We have to understand that it is greater than anything Satan has to offer. Satan can't offer anything that compares to what God has already given us if we will accept it. So how do we achieve that goal? Well, first, we have to focus. We have to focus on our goal. Pay attention to it. We took a a shooting class Friday and Saturday, several of us here. And the instructor said, when we went out to shoot, he said, you've got to focus on the front sight. Don't take your eye off the front sight. Don't pay attention to, the, you know, the outline of the target. You can see it, whether it's you're completely focused on it or not. Pay attention to the front sight. You can see the rear sight. You can line it up, but don't take your eye off the front sight. And if you don't do that, you're not going to be able to hit the target properly. We have to do the same thing. Focus on the sight Focus on the goal. If we don't focus on the goal, we'll be like Peter when he stepped out of the boat. If we don't focus on the goal, we'll be like Judas who hanged himself and died lost. If we don't focus on the goal, we'll be like the rich man. But if we focus on the goal, we can be like Peter. Later he repented. He's in paradise. We can be like Lazarus. He's in paradise. We can be like all the other faithful people in the world. Those who have gone before us, who have gone on into eternity, they're in paradise. And let me tell you something, they're happier than anyone here on earth is. Focus. Focus. When we focus our attention in that direction, God will lead us in the path of righteousness. Psalm 23, verse 3. We often sing a song that says, Yield not to temptation, for yielding is sin. Not sinful to be tempted, sinful to yield. Each victory will help you some other to win. Fight manfully onward, dark passions subdue. Look ever to Jesus, He will carry you through. Ask the Savior to help you, comfort, strengthen, and keep you. He is willing to aid you, He will carry you through. What's the whole point? 
I ask God to help me. I focus on the goal at hand. I pray to Him. I'm uh, diligent. And I pay attention to what's going on around me and I keep my eye on the goal. God is willing. Are we willing? He'll do it. Right? If we achieve focus on God, then we can remain faithful. James made a very important point to us. When he made a statement, James 1 verse 17, he said, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. He's got, he, he's saying God is so good in so many ways. You know what the problem is? Sometimes we overlook that. Sometimes we take that for granted. Don't we do that with those we love in this world sometimes? They're so good, and we just end up taking them for granted. See, that's what we do to God. And we allow things to come between us. God says, when, when you face a temptation or a trial, look at my goodness. Look at what I've done to you. If someone irritates us a little bit that we love, you know what we ought to be thinking? Look at all the good things they've done for me. Look at how great they are. I shouldn't pay attention to those small things. We need to focus on the faithfulness of God when Satan comes knocking on our doors. Right? If the good things are coming down from above, then the good things must not be here. They must be above, right? That's the source of the good things, not here on earth. Paul said, Colossians 3, 1, If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. When we face temptation, let's look above us to the source of the good things. Let us notice and see the faithfulness of God. And for those of us who endure hardships, God has promised a glorious crown if we'll be faithful. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, James 1.12, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Satan is eager to destroy our souls. He can't do it unless we allow him. If we overcome, we'll overcome the next one more easily. But Peter comforted us by saying, 2 Peter 2.9, The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. What a blessed assurance when Satan desired to have Peter and Jesus prayed for Peter. Isn't that a comfort? He does the same things for us. He intercesses for us. He mediates for us. Isn't that a comfort? Faith in the Lord will follow us through and we can overcome the world, 1 John 5, 4. But the only true statement there, the only thing that that, or the only people who that is true to are Christians. Now that ought to have us thinking, right? Not just Christians, not just because we obey the gospel, faithful Christians. A Christian can fall, Galatians 5 verse 4. A, a, Christian, a Christian can turn his or her back on God and leave. But faithful Christians have something wonderful to look forward to. We understand what the plan of salvation is. I look out over the audience. I don't see anyone who is not a Christian. We know the plan of salvation, and we ought to know it by heart. Faith, repentance, confession, immersion in water, faithful living. And we ought to know the Scripture to back that up too, by heart. Or at least the reference to it, right? God has something wonderful in store for us. Satan's eager to destroy that. But we can overcome. He has a desire. 
He has a plan to carry out that desire, right? But we also want to achieve something that's great. If you need to answer the Lord's invitation tonight, do that as we stand and as we sing.